Welcome. This is Kevin McDonald with New Mexico in Focus, the podcast edition for Friday, January 3rd, 2020. Happy late New Year's. Hope you had a safe and happy one. We are happy to be back with the conclusion of our countdown of the top stories of 2019. And I'm sure you've got opinions about those stories that really stuck with you throughout the year. You're going to see a lot of the stories in this list are ones that came up time and time again through the course of the year. They're not just these one-off stories that come and go. They are lingering and have lasting impacts in the state. And they're very important topics. We've got education reform in here and a lot of other crucial topics that we'll no doubt be talking about a lot in 2020 as well. So now's your chance to sort of put together your top five countdown as we head into ours and you can compare and you can get back to us about where you think we got it wrong, what stories should be there, what was on your list. And you can do that in so many different ways. You can uh, reach out to us on Instagram, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter. We are in all those places and love to hear from you, even if it's with constructive criticism. It really helps us to make the show better. But this is one of our favorite shows of the year where we get to do this countdown and really look back at everything that we covered and talked about in the year that was. Joined again by a great line panel of all local journalists, Andy Lyman of the New Mexico Political Report. He's joined us for this countdown a couple years now. Great to see him again. Gwena Doland, also a familiar face to the show, regular contributor and an adjunct instructor at UNM in the Communication and Journalism Department. We'd like to welcome back Jessica Ansures from the Carlsbad Current Argus. She's the news director there and has some great input and feedback about these stories and how they are impactful in southern New Mexico and how that's different and the same as up here in the central northern corridor. And Steve Terrell, the recently retired Santa Fe New Mexican Capital Press Corps member, was gracious enough to join us uh, in his free time, which he's got a fair amount of now, but he had some great thoughts about these stories as well, especially given his history covering these issues in the legislature and abroad. So terrific show. Another look back at one of our favorite stories of this week or this year, also in store this week in the show. And that was it was a year that saw Netflix and NBC Universal announced they were coming to town. Virgin Galactic moved into the spaceport. A ton of rapid fire economic development stories. This is a flip side to that. It's about how the state is trying to help economic development development in rural New Mexico. So we visited visited a business in Tierra Amarilla up in the Chama River Valley where they are getting some help from the state to bring in a meat processing plant to help with their cattle ranch. And you see how that will have an impact for the entire community and uh, just how it changes the landscape up there from a business point of view. So just a gorgeous story and a really interesting take on um, building up financial wealth for uh, all of New Mexico and not just these big companies that that swoop in, uh, like we mentioned before with Netflix and NBC. So hope you enjoy that. hope you enjoy the whole show. Please reach out. Let us know what you want to hear us talking about in the new year. And have a great week. Funding for New Mexico in Focus provided by the McCune Charitable Foundation and viewers like you. This week on New Mexico in Focus, pushing economic development projects out of the city and into rural New Mexico. 
We want to show people that we're producing a healthy, mindful beef product and that we're also doing it in a manner that is ecologically sustainable. Plus, our countdown to the top stories of 2019 reaches number one as we look forward to the new year. New Mexico in Focus starts now. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm your host, Gene Grant. Happy New Year to you. We hope, however, you recognize this season that it was enjoyable. We're back at it this week as our panel of New Mexico journalists count down the top stories of the past year, finishing with what they decided was the most important piece of news in 2019. We'll also take a look back at an important effort to bring scaled economic development to rural New Mexico. We'll start with the line. We start this week with what we've chosen as the number five story of 2019 based on general consensus and just how much we've talked about the issue this year on the show. And that story is the groundbreaking creation of the state's first ethics commission. Voters overwhelmingly approved the idea in 2018. The commission is charged with overseeing complaints of government misconduct, ranging from campaign financing to lobbying and other ethics violations. So joining us again this week to talk about the year that was talented group of local journalists, starting with Gwyneth Dolan, a frequent contributor here at New Mexico in Focus and an adjunct professor of communication and journalism at UNM. Welcome back. Next up, Jessica Onshuras. She's the news director for the USA Today's Southeast New Mexico properties. That's the Carlsbad Current Argus, Alamogordo Daily News and Rodioso News. You are so busy. Also, this is Andy Lyman. He's staff writer for the New Mexico Political Report and a frequent guest here in a familiar face at the table. One of the state's newest retirees, I'm talking about Steve Terrell, former Capitol reporter at the Santa Fe New Mexican. Welcome to you too. Now, all of the appointees have been made to the Ethics Commission. We have an executive director who was hired in September. Steve, start with you. Why did it take so long? Some simple question here. Why did it take so long to get to this point? People have been asking for this for a decade. What took so long? Uh, Heather, Heather Ferguson from uh, Common Cause and uh, Vicki Harrison say actually it goes back to the 70s when wow. the, it goes like 30 years. Uh, huh. It took long. One thing about the legislature, they don't like giving up any power. They don't like uh, policing themselves. Uh, that's, uh, so it, there was a big reluctance, but there's so many cases starting back about 2005 when uh, uh, the state treasurer and his predecessor were both arrested. and later did prison time mm -hmm. and uh, uh, so and you know it just never stopped we had in recent years Phil Griego a Democratic senator from uh, around Santa Fe and uh, uh, Diana Duran a Republican uh, Secretary of State I think it's got to where you know it's okay let's just work out the details I remember I went all the way to conference committee with the year it passed and um, as everyone knew it would, once it went to the voters, they, they approved it. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. that's, why, that's, that's why it took so long. It's just, uh, there wasn't the, you know, uh, the, the, you know, they said, well, this isn't us. We can police ourselves. And then Manny Aragon goes to prison back uh, right. a few years ago. And, that's uh, right. So it, it was, changed uh, a lot of things, didn't it? The yeah. thing, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. still it took, uh, what, mm -hmm. uh, five or six years that's after right. that. That's right, if not so. a little more, exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, Jessica, interestingly, uh, I'm curious what you guys think about the commission. I'll start with you, but the makeup of it. Uh, we've got appointees from the governor, as we know, in both political parties, as we would imagine. Right. It, but also includes some names that are fairly trusted around here. Former Deputy Attorney General Stuart Bluestone. A lot of folks know him. And, of course, former Governor Gary Carruthers. Right. Are your, your comfort level with the makeup of the commission as it stands now, how do you see this? Um, 
you know, I think it's a really great group. We've got, as you said, names that people know, but I think the important part of that is that names that people trust. Mm -hmm. um, New Mexicans are looking for a reason to trust again, and if this is the path towards that, um, I think we've got a really great starting point. Mm -hmm. Andy, same question, you can add on to that too, but then also layer on if you'd like to, the public, I'm going to ask this of you, Gwyneth, as well, the public expectation here. So the makeup of the commission, is, it, we seem to have connected all the dots here. Is mm -hmm. good enough for the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think mm -hmm. Jessica's point about trust is a big thing. Trust and knowledge that the if general public can trust that these people know what they're talking about, that they know where the baseline that they're looking at, what is what is ethics? What are we trying to, you know, um, what do we take on? What do we not take on? Um, and to have, I know it sounds silly to say, former politicians that are that are on this, but they kind of know how things go, right? Mm -hmm. They might be able to see something that comes in and go, this is definitely frivolous and we're going to just, you know, right. move it on, whatever. Yeah. How do you sense the uh, transparency issue when it comes to this? It, it, that's a very tricky thing to thread that needle because there's, at, at certain points in, in an investigation, you've got to be quiet about it, kind of figure it out. But then there's other parts the public would have an expectation, it would seem to me, to hear yeah. what's going on here. How to balance that's going to be awful. Part of that hard. was what Steve was talking about too mm -hmm. is the reluctance to pass this is that lawmakers, I mean over and over and over again we heard this is going to be used as a as a weapon in our campaigns, right? Uh, they're going to file a complaint against us and right. and then it's going to be public. I I personally think that it probably just needs to all be out there. We need to see it mm -hmm. happen as it goes along. So. I think I know where you're at, Gwyneth, on the <laughs> transparency issue. <laughs> you what Andy just said, would you prefer to see everything from stem to stern on a, an investigation? Um, yeah, I'm on record as, as uh, advocating for that when I was with the Foundation for Open Government. But and I, I was your intern. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, you know, I think the thing is that when we're talking about a hypothetical ethics commission, yep. paranoia reigns still, oh, well, who are these people going to be and blah, blah, blah. But mm -hmm. when you put actual faces onto these people, mm. then I think it's a different calculation because people are like, oh, well, yeah, Gary Carruthers is pretty cool, or I know Ron Solomon, I was on a committee with him, or, you know, uh, Stuart Bluestone, he, I, I saw him do, a, you know, legislators are very comfortable with him. Mm -hmm. I think there are enough people on the list that real humans can connect to so that now it seems like, oh, well, these people seem like they might do an okay job. Mm -hmm. It's not this mythical people who are in on the deal who are going to railroad, you know, or, or ignore everything or whatever. So. Right. That feeling from the public, are they popular, are they there because they're popular and familiar or are they there to do a job for us as taxpayers? You know what I mean? That's a, that's a tricky thing to kind of get across. I want to stay with you on this next question though. You know, what questions are still sort of out there about how they're going to function? Uh, have you heard anything out there that, anything out there that folks are still a little squirrely on about how this all, is it going to go? Yeah, all of it, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think the important thing is that people Actually, know. Actually, that's a serious point. We don't know, do yeah. we? No. You know? The, the, but the important yeah. thing is now people have a place to go. Yeah. When you have a problem, if you see something, you can say something, right? You can report it. Mm -hmm. And you, I think, now have a feeling that there are some people of integrity on this thing. The executive director has a really great profile. He was college roommates with Pete Buttigieg, right. um, but also clerked <laughs> for uh, Chief Justice uh, Nakamura, who's a Republican, and worked for a liberal law firm in Albuquerque. I think he's got a lot of across-the-board cred. People mm -hmm. will hopefully feel more comfortable in submitting complaints, and then how they're going to work through them, I'd be really interested to see. Right, exactly. You know, who's, gonna, who's overseeing all this at, at the end of the day? I mean, obviously the, the people are. That, you know, that's the easy first answer. But who's, who's in charge of this thing necessarily to make sure this thing's going on the right the track? The executive director? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. The, the commissioners themselves. Yeah, it's an independent uh, 
agency. Mm -hmm. I, I suppose they could be impeached like others. I'm not familiar with the actual procedures. Uh, we're not going to know how it's really going to work until mm -hmm. the first big scandal comes along. Do we have a sense of who's going to be filing complaints? Is this more of a lobbyist complaint channel, sexual harassment channel? Like, any it can sense be of, that? of those. Yeah. Or, uh, or if you get wind that so-and-so, uh, hey, he, uh, he voted for this and he got everybody else to vote for this and then he has a financial interest in it. Right. You know, they can be just regular uh, whistleblowers who happen to know something. Uh, Let's say someone, I don't know, bought a building maybe. And oh, yeah. <laughs> right. uh, can't happen here. Oh, no, but, no. Uh, maybe got a state road to move around some property. Right, that, yeah. that would never happen. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways this could go, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it, I, I suppose it could be just anybody who... It, I don't think it's all going to be uh, lobbyist reporting because uh, lobbyists know where their bread is, mm -hmm. is buttered. But, uh, Jessica, I'm wondering if one of the first, that term low-hanging fruit is so juicy sometimes, but we're talking about these secret settlements. Yes. And that would seem to me, if the public wanted to get at something pretty quickly, this commission has a, exactly right. So when we're talking about transparency, um, and we're not really sure you know, what this commission can do, where their powers lie, how broad of a stroke they can paint with this, but that's definitely, as you said, a low-hanging fruit when we're mm -hmm. talking about uh, secret settlement, something done outside of the public eye. Who's to say that there's not a question mark still there? Mm -hmm. um, and there, I think there are many instances like that, and we're not necessarily talking large state scandal, you know, very public politician, but we're right. talking about our um, matters that matter, matters that matter to the public, to mm -hmm. the taxpayer. And that, and, and obviously, Andy, as I, as I follow up with Jessica says, that has to have a feedback loop, a very vigorous feedback loop. And again, someone has to manage that, someone has to create that, someone has to encourage that. I mean, the whole thing, it's not just a standalone group doing this on their own. We all have to be sort of in this process, it would seem to me. Yeah, I think um, that's valid questions of how, who's going to be in charge of this, who's going to be kind of running the show besides the executive director, who's going to hold the, who, who's going to hold them accountable, right? right? They're right. holding other people accountable. How do we know that they're actually going through with what we, we are right. paying them to do? Let's see how that goes. Do you have a last thought on that? Well, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> I mean, I saw your eye move there. I thought you might have had a thought no, there. So, okay. But I was going to say, so many of us reporters have been covering all of these issues that led up to these scandals, and right. then we covered the commission. We're still here, and we're still going to be following everything the commission does yep. and, and in, trying to engage the public in oversight too. That's who's going to be watching over this thing. You're exactly right. Moving on now to our fourth biggest story of the year, and this one generated a lot of discussion here at the Roundhouse. This legislative session, I'm talking about cannabis, both recreational and medical. Andy, I'm going to go to you first, of course. You cover this issue, issue a lot in your work for the Political Report. What issue tops your list for 2019? Aggressive move towards outright legalization, getting medical right. What was the dominant story in 2019? Um, for, for my world, it was the Senate Bill 406. I mm -hmm. called it the Omnibus Cannabis Bill. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just had so many different things in it. Uh, even uh, coming up before, no, I think it's going to be in January, uh, they're going to look at uh, consumption lounges. That was in the bill. Uh, or oh consumption God. areas. Right. Uh, uh, re re reciprocal patients so people can come in. And, of course, along with that, there was a whole snafu with uh, now people from out of state can come in and get a card whether they live here or not. Right. Um, there was a whole lot of protections that were into it. So that Senate Bill 406, which also included protections for children using it at school, mm -hmm. uh, not getting your kids taken away by CYFD if, you, if they find out you're a patient, um, all those things. So I think that was the big sort of defining thing in, in cannabis. Can I throw in work issues as well on yeah. that? Do we have any more clarity about that? I mean, 
Yeah, so it's mm -hmm. the interesting about that is I just wrote a story about this that uh, the, the state uh, announced a rapid hire event and they said, right, come, yeah. come get a job. Well, as it turns out, just like many other jobs, you have to get drug tested if you drive a truck, if you drive mechanical equipment. And of course, with cannabis, you get into a weird situation where you could test positive for it, but you're not necessarily impaired at that moment. Mm -hmm. So that is sort of the same thing that's happening in, in the private industry, I think. There's a lot of people that think, oh, great, I'm protected. But then a private company can say, well, I have federal money coming in, or it's a safety issue. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there's protections there. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how you'd go any farther than what we are Right, right. Now. Good point there. You know, Gwyneth, we have the uh, the much ballyhooed task force the governor put together to go around the state and talk about recreational issues. There was a series of meetings. I wish they had live streamed them, but that's just me. Uh, you know, it's just, what, what was your general sense about how that went, that road show? Well, mm -hmm. I think it's really important to engage regular people on issues like this because it's easy to say, hey, we should legalize weed. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Let's cash in. Sounds right. great, you mm -hmm. know. Um, or to say absolutely not, I have no interest in it, but it's these issues that Andy's been talking about and reporting on that really matter to a lot of people who have epileptic kids. And the hassle that they go through, I have friends who have to do this, driving to school and pulling them in and out, people who do use it um, you know, for medical purposes and then you know, also have these jobs. All of these little details are really important mm -hmm. for regular folks to bring these things up. So mm -hmm. I'm a fan of the roadshow. Mm -hmm. When the roadshow came to your area, how was it received? What happened there? Um, so the, the key point, I think, is to understand who makes up our area, right? We're talking about a lot of veterans in our community. Mm -hmm. We're talking about um, people who are in already the retirement age and above and are looking for these alternative um, medical mm -hmm. um, practices. So it, it was one of those moments when you really sit back and you, and you try to engage with what the education of the public is. What are they being told about the entire um, issue? Yes, we're gonna get millions of dollars if we do it recreationally, but how can we secure, um, how can we secure the, the system that we have now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting point there. I wanna come back to medical here in a quick second, but Steve, um, we had all kinds of other things, administration and schools we talked about, but plant limits was interesting as well. We had a weird year in 2019. Right, they the raised plant limits, right? I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I know mm -hmm. they increased it. Uh, uh, 1750. Significant. I bet a person at this table knows the number. That's right. All right. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, that was that, that was a welcome uh, thing. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, when Susanna Martinez was elected, um, I, I talked to her personally about this during the campaign. Uh, she was against the medical marijuana program, which had just started. Mm. By the time she was uh, elected and, uh, and took office, uh, she changed her tune on, uh, she, I'm not gonna go after the, no, I'm not gonna abolish this, but uh, a lot of her critics say that uh, she, uh, you know, kinda let it uh, die, that was not a priority for her, and uh, it's like, well, you're lucky I didn't abolish it. Uh, now we have a governor who was, who's very, uh, well, she helped implement the program back mm -hmm. when she was uh, health secretary, and uh, she, um, and she's for uh, legalizing recreational marijuana, which is a big switch. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to happen this next year. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, this is a year, or 2020 is a year. Uh, again, going on a limb with, and I've made bad predictions before, <laughs> but uh, mm -hmm. I still don't think they have the votes to legalize it. Is there one particular issue that are behind those no votes in your view? Is there one thing that just hasn't been cleared up enough for some of those no folks? 
Not really. What about a uh, drive, well, election in 2020? Yeah, well, there yeah. you go. That's right. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's right. an issue. Uh, yeah. I, I think there are still right questions there. and legitimate <laughs> questions about uh, driving. Uh, there's, yep. there's no uh, breathalyzer tests yet. I hear some are under development, but uh, mm -hmm. who knows how uh, reliable they are right mm -hmm. now. So I think that's that's still the big thing. But I think a lot of people just don't want to legalize it. They don't like people who smoke it, and they don't like uh, they don't want it legal. It's just a non-starter completely yeah. for a lot of folks. For, yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting point there, Andy. Uh, do pick up on the plant mm -hmm. thing if you want to. But then also, what's interesting to me with this is the idea that um, if it is legal, how do we get to that place? Do, do you know? Uh, sorry. Mm -hmm. If we do get the vote, how do we get to that place that answers all those different safety questions? That satisfies law enforcement. That satisfies the feds. I, I'm it's going to be hard. Steve, I'm, I'm sort of pessimistic that, uh, or, or not, shouldn't say pessimistic. I don't think it will pass this year. Right. Um, there's there's a lot of opportunities for it to not happen, not just the votes, but the the governor is asking for something pretty specific. She wants a comprehensive bill that addresses public safety, and and there's going to be a lot of debate on where that money goes. Not right. there's only so much money you can get out of this. It's a 30 day uh, session. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and so I think that even if it gets to her desk, it could be a very very, not disastrous bill, but opposite of what she was looking for, and, and it right. still wouldn't happen there. So, my sense, I want to stay with you on this question too. My sense of it, when I glean from other folks who were advocates for legalization, is they were very concerned with the roadshow had a little too much industry mm -hmm. and a little too much conflict of interest in some of the makeup about it. Might that come back and be a problem when it's when it's time to? Discuss this uh, in the legislature. It, it might. I think we'll mm -hmm. probably see a lot, a lot more lobbyists nationally coming in. Okay. Um, although some of the proposals that they came up with would sort of eliminate outside interests. I think there's a concern that you know big cannabis would come in and, and open a shop. And there's companies that do this across the country. Mm -hmm. They just swoop in and and I think right now what they want to do is make it so that you have to be involved in the medical program as well. Ah. So that would sort of eliminate this outside interest coming in that you have to be able to have enough plants right. to support the medical program as well as sell recreation. I see. So, Interesting yeah. little twist there. That's interesting. Got a minute left, Gwyneth, and I'm just interested. The financial implications, I understand how you set this up. It's not just a barrel of money that's going to show up just because we open the doors. But the opportunity is interesting. You look at Michigan just opened for business, tons of dough. Massachusetts, all these states when they, they open recreational, no one has failed yet. Not one state has failed. And all of them are outstripping what they thought they were going to get for money. Can't we just expect the same? That we're going to be rolling in it once <laughs> no, it starts? And Lou Wallace would tell you no. You can't expect those same things to happen right. here the same way. I mean, I think, you know, you, you called it a barrel of money, and it's interesting because if you compare it to the barrels of oil and gas that we've got here, say we put gas in the barrels, uh, you know, it's a much smaller piece right. of money, right? right? We don't really want to... Um, reject major sources of income here. Right. But I don't think we can count on it being a miracle for the state budget. Mm -hmm. um, if this does happen, and, and my money is on it not happening in a 30-day session where everybody's thinking about how that vote's going to play in a campaign ad right. uh, a few months later. Um, but I think if it does happen, I think New Mexico will proceed sort of cautiously as it has. And I think they have been looking at what other states um, have done. Mm -hmm. And if it does bring in money and help us diversify the state's revenue stream, mm -hmm. great. Interesting points. We're just getting going on our countdown to the top five stories of the year. Stick around to find out what topped the list here with our special all journalists line table. The calmer voices are saying we need a better outline of what this looks like long term. Um, we can't 
invest in it now and expect to see results next year or the year after that. Right. It's a very long-term investment. Um, and when it comes to the expectations, right, some of those harsher voices were asking, can we, can we do more than just raise a teacher salary? <laughs>
um, because they help these rural areas thrive. And, you know, whenever we can get involved, we will. This is an amazing opportunity, but it's, it's also an incredible model for what we can do in value-added agriculture. Deals like this are not easy to find, but Keyes says they are the future of economic development and serve to stitch together more tightly the fabric of traditional ways of life in rural parts of the state. Anytime that Tommy wants to talk about expanding or have us come out and just see what he's doing or actually circle him with some other companies, like we are willing to do whatever it takes to make him succeed. The Chama River Valley is heavily reliant on tourism. If you don't work for the county or the local school district, work can be hard to find. Hunting has shown promise. We've gotten a lot of inquiries when people first heard that we were looking at doing this. With an estimated 2,500 elk and deer taken from the mountains around the county last season, Casados wants to get the new building up by fall and offer custom processing for game. His own operation will focus on building a pasture-to-plate model for steaks and other processed meats. We're doing a lot of social media marketing on Facebook and Instagram and, and trying to really build up ourselves through our website. He's no expert, but he has been reading up. We're putting out videos showing people how we're raising their beef, just day-to-day -day activities on the ranch, and that has really boosted our sales. Like the first six months of the website, we, we had like 10 sales. And from when we started doing this marketing to today, our sales have increased like by 100. Just turning the steers and the heifers out on the some fresh pasture, they are super pumped. Going to town on the buffet, check them out. Like many rural parts of the state and the country, reliable internet access is maybe the most important piece of infrastructure in today's economy. It's been a good day, good moisture, we love it. Y'all have a great evening. How's the internet service out here? Is it, is it okay? Can it it's, it's okay, yeah. We get to stream Netflix pretty decently. Uh, except for when my kid is playing Fortnite, it, can we get the kids button heads? 70 miles from the closest movie theater and near the headwaters of the rivers where much of the state gets its water, he's busy making his own story, one that's earned buy-in from the state and seems headed toward a successful next installment. We want to show people that we're producing a healthy, mindful beef product and that we're also doing it in a manner that is ecologically sustainable. Welcome back to the line table, complete with an all-journalist for our special year in review countdown. Coming in at number three on our list of the top stories of 2019 is the Energy Transition Act. The landmark legislation is designed to move the state to a renewable energy sources and includes the eventual closing of the coal-fired San Juan generating station in the Four Corners. Under the plan, utilities have until 2045 to be completely carbon-free. Rural co-ops have until 2050. Gwyneth, admirable goal, but not without its challenges, certainly. What do you see here? No, it's not without its challenges mm -hmm. at all. Everybody likes, uh, you know, wind and solar and everything, but mm -hmm. uh, the problem, of course, uh, with developing a lot more wind power is where are you going to put these transmission lines? Uh, they take forever to build. There's massive environmental clearance. Have we moved forward on that this year? Um, not that I know of, but, yeah. but I'm, I haven't been following in that closely. Mm -hmm. It's just that nobody wants a transmission line in their backyard, but then mm -hmm. they all want wind power. No, you know, very few people want to see wind turbines. Mm -hmm. um, we have to get over some of the NIMBY issues 
um, that this is going to present. Mm -hmm. You know, Andy, the ETA was a top priority, no doubt about that, for the governor and a lot of the Democratic leadership, mm -hmm. no doubt on that either. Created a power struggle, though, with the Public Rela Regulation Commission. I, I find this part of it very interesting. How do you see that little scrum playing out here? I, well, the PRC is always sort of its own little beast, and Steve can attest to this. He's covered it a lot <laughs> for a very long time and mm -hmm. at Gwyneth, too. But, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that they're just, I think it's always going to be a power struggle between the PRC and mm -hmm. pretty much anybody outside of the PRC, you mm -hmm. know. Um, they don't really like it when somebody comes in and says, I know you're supposed to regulate this, but this That's is right. how you should regulate it. So. Steve, will go right to you on that. This, how do you see that yeah. playing out? It's very interesting. It's, uh, uh, like Andy alluded to, it's got this weird little turf war. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, one way it may play out, there's going to be a constitutional amendment on uh, next year's ballot to uh, make it... Uh, make the PRC an appointed body. So mm -hmm. uh, let's play a little assumption assumption game. Assume that passes. How does that and how does that uh, change things in that relationship with the ETA and the PRC and the governor? Got to throw the governor in there too. Well, mm -hmm. uh, obviously, I think the governor will have a lot more uh, control. Yeah. So um, uh, I'm not sure how it would work if, the, if there's five members the governor appoints or uh, I'm not sure or, myself. Or yeah. the legislature appoints some. I'm not sure the details. She points across the board, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, Just, that's. Yeah. Uh, I've seen bills like that before. Yeah. This is the first time it's ever going to go to the voters, though. So, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I predict, just because of the history of the PRC, rightly or wrongly, uh, people say, yeah, you know. I, uh, we, bet we need a big change here. So, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Jessica, how do you see that? If, if potentially the PRC does in fact have those changes the voters are going to be touching on, how does that change the dynamics of the ETA? Well, so if we're talking about uh, something that's meant to protect the end user, right, mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the long run, um, it's, I think for me it's about asking the, the hard question of whose responsibility is it going to be now if it's an appointed body? Mm -hmm. um, are they answering to the public? Are they answering to the person who appointed to them? Right. Um, overall, um, the, you know, I think not everyday Joe is familiar with the way it works. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of lack of education um, in the voter side of what exactly are we talking about as well. So that's, that's maybe right. a key. Um, I'm, a key I'm laughing in my head because no one really knows how the PRC works. <laughs> so it's just kind of interesting no matter what your level of expertise. But you, you make a good point there. You know, Gwyneth, um, the idea that this constitutional ballot, I, I want you to touch on this too, and just kind of forecasting out ahead there, assuming success in the PRC is in fact going to be Reach, you know, reformatted somehow. And the ETA felt like it was sort of forced on the PRC, the, this current kind of makeup. I'm wondering what the attitude might be with an appointed body. Are they coming in with marching orders that says, you must support this. <laughs> you know what I mean? That kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. and I've covered a lot of the struggles that the PRC has had for a long time. There's always this tension between an mm -hmm. appointed body or an elected body. Mm -hmm. An elected body, we say, is more responsive to the people, but very few people care at all about the PRC, and they tend to elect people whose name is vaguely familiar. Right. We did um, increase the requirements of the qualifications. Uh, mm -hmm five, six years ago, something right. like that. Mm -hmm. But they have historically been extremely low for a body that regulates very complicated issues. Mm -hmm. My suspicion is that an appointed board would, the appointments would draw more attention mm -hmm. and that the candidates would be more highly qualified because people, more people would pay attention across the state. And I think that they might be more accountable. And um, I think it, with a greater, um, with a greater experience in these issues that I hope that they would have mm -hmm. um, 
that they would not come in with specific marching orders. That's right. my hope. Yeah. You know, Steve, we talked at this table about the idea of what constitutes, Gwyneth mentioned experience and how one gets chosen for these things. You know what I mean? And you can see a scenario with a governor, this woman has this set of skills, this guy's got this set of skills, this woman has, a, you know what I mean? You kind of go down the line. But how do we really know what makes up a good PRC person? I've always oh, wondered that, actually. Yeah, What's that, that perfect background? I'm still wondering. Now, I don't, I, you know, uh, Susanna Martinez's greatest appointment uh -huh. uh, during her entire eight years as governor, in my view, she, replated, uh, she appointed the replacement for Jerome Block Jr., who, of course, you know, committed felonies. Yeah. And uh, uh, she appointed a guy, a, a registered independent named Doug Howe, Oh. He's very, very well versed in environmental law. He, yes. he, he and uh, he wasn't politically. He was thinking of running. In fact, he announced he was going to run for uh, PRC the next year. Then he decided mm -hmm. against it. Mm -hmm. But he was very well. He was he was Susanna's greatest appointment. And uh, so governors uh, and what it, it wasn't political. She had a lot of Republicans uh, tugging on her, saying, "Hey, pick me." Mm -hmm. But. Uh, mm -hmm. So That's a good example, though, of, of yeah. how tricky this could be. Interesting. Yeah. Jessica, I want to finish with this. One of the things I, w I wanted to kind of set up when I just asked that question of Steve is with this new PRC makeup, the idea that industry was a little too close to the decision-making on the ETA yes. and how that attitude for these new, these new members is going to be on that issue alone. You know what I mean? That's hard to predict. I'm not asking for a prediction, but it's a real thing that's sort of hanging out there. I think that we can mm -hmm. all be very uncomfortable with how it feels to have industry too close to any decision-making body, and especially when you're talking about a piece of legislation that's going to help define what our state looks like mm -hmm. um, for a long time to come. Um, there, I would imagine, exists a lot of uncomfortable feelings around the thought that um, if this piece of legislation was put together with the hand of, of industry, mm -hmm. what is to stop them from appointing a body that also is reflective of the industry and the industry needs rather mm -hmm. than the everyday need of New Mexicans. That's very well said. It's interesting. We're right to be worried on yeah. these things. Uh, Andy, please do pick up on that if you would. This idea of making up this body it's still, we're a long way down the road. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying this is, you know, something we got to figure out yeah, before I'd, this vote happens. Yeah, I'd be really concerned for people that live, like, in Jessica's neighborhood, not neighborhood, but area of the state, um, Carlsbad, the, right. the rural areas where, when you're talking about appointments, uh, generally how these appointments work in other cases is that the governor or whoever's in charge of it kind of gets, they, they, they're not going to know everyone around the state, so you kind of get the, the word from that district, well, this is a good right. person here, this is a good person here. And is that really a good person for the district that, right. that you know, I don't, I don't know. It does become very political. On the other side, uh, Gwyneth, the renewable requirements, there are a lot of things in here that folks fought a long time to get. And they are not interested in seeing this thing mucked with. You see what I mean? So there's a lot of things coming into this situation with the ETA that are, I mean, it's law. It's what it is. And people want to have it. So Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I think I just want to push back on a little bit on the idea that, Anything that is too close to industry mm -hmm. is necessarily bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people who work in these, in the renewable industries, in any kind of energy generation, a lot of these people are the most talented we have, mm -hmm. right? So there is a huge amount of expertise and research mm -hmm. coming out of these places. I think our job in doing oversight is to make sure that nothing gets skewed by environmentalists or oil and gas, or whoever, or any one side. Mm -hmm. So as long as we are paying attention to where they're going and making sure that it's not unduly skewed, mm -hmm. 
I don't think that anyone should should uh, not get a seat at the table or be a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's out there. We'll see what happens. You know, one thing that uh, mm -hmm. about the uh, PRC, mm -hmm. it's, it's gone through a big change. A few years ago, the big rap on the PRC was that they're too close to P&M. Right. Now, it's gone to the other side, and uh, now uh, they're, they want more scrutiny of P&M. But it seems kind of weird that it happened when uh, you know P and M's now calling for uh, completely renewable energy in the near future. Too. Yes, long from over this conversation. That brings us to our number two story of 2019: education reform. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham launched her education moonshot during her first State of the State address. Included in the reform packages were teacher raises, more money for programs for at-risk students, as well as the end of the old teacher evaluation system. And Gwyneth, of course, this reform is being pushed in large part because of the Yazi Martinez case, as we know, which found the state is in violation of uh, constitutional rights for students. Um, there have been challenges to this already. Where does this sit now? Where do you see this heading into 2020? Um, I hate to be in the prognostication business, mm -hmm. especially um, when it comes to who's going to comply with their legal obligations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm very interested to see what happens. We have for a long time had this debate over should we just throw more money at it? Is that the solution? Or do we need more accountability like the testing and all these things? Um, one thing that we haven't really tried is throwing a whole bunch more money at it. So um, I'm really yeah. interested to see how it works and what happens. It's a great luxury that we do have the money to spend, mm -hmm. um, and I, I want to see what happens. How's the management of that money been so far? We've had a couple of bumps early on. I don't know. Yeah. I know. I have not followed that. Still to be played out, though, that's yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah, the plaintiffs, by the way, uh, in the case have come out recently with some pretty harsh words about the education, haven't they? You've been reporting on that. What's going on there? Yeah, I, well, I, I haven't personally been re reporting on it, but I was mm -hmm. just thinking, I think it was a year ago, we were sitting having the same conversation. How is how would uh, Governor Lujan Grisham deal with this? She said last year, uh, almost exactly a year ago, she said, I would not appeal this decision. Mm -hmm. It'll be really interesting to see going forward when she's tried to fix this and the, the plaintiffs are saying, no, you, you still haven't. We're still in the same boat. Mm -hmm. uh, does she keep not appealing it, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, how does this going forward? I don't, I don't know. It's an interesting point there. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, interesting, Jessica, when you think about this, there's a lot of impatience implied with the moonshot. Mm -hmm. Things want to happen yep. quick. It's not just the money, but there's a speed issue. Right. How's that working out? So, <clears throat> so I think issue? some of the criticism at the mm -hmm. beginning was that it's going too fast. Um, we are throwing money at it, and if, if if you're like me, I say throw all the money at it. Um, but the money that we did have, we, we threw it out there and there wasn't really a lot of guidance for how it should be used. Mm -hmm. We understood that there's some general guidelines for here's what we're trying to reach. Mm -hmm. um, but it, and the, the calmer voices are saying we need a better outline of what this looks like long term. Um, we can't invest in it now and expect to see results next year or the year after that. Right. It's a very long term investment. Um, and when it comes to the expectations, right, some of those harsher voices were asking, can we can we do more than just raise a teacher salary? Yes, it's it's a correlation between here's a strong teacher that results mm -hmm. in a very sturdy student who succeeds in the long term, um, but are we truly addressing the at-risk student, which mm -hmm. this lawsuit was meant to, or the opinion on the lawsuit was meant to right. um, address? Yeah, we're not clear on that either, are right. we? We have uh, some ways to go on that. You know, Steve, interestingly, um, there's been a, a morale problem when you think about the education business statewide. And the idea of teachers' raises, that's the, but the teacher eva evaluation thing was a big deal. 
for teachers are a big, hard-fought thing. How did, you, how did you see that playing out as it went all through 2019? Is that settled? Is that put to bed? Is that... I don't think it'll ever be settled yeah. uh, completely. Uh, it's probably going in a good direction, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's still some bumps in the road to come, I'm sure. Is there any drama from the Trujillo firing that still need to be smoothed out? Are we in the clear on that with the with the new education secretary? Yeah, Does I haven't been- heard too much fallout recently okay. about that. Uh, mm-hmm. I was actually, uh, I like the fact that uh, the governor said, yeah, we... You know, she's an okay lady and everything, but uh, we, you know, we're not satisfied with the progress. Instead of saying, no, she's leaving to spend more time with her family or something, <laughs> right. you know. So right. uh, I was glad they were didn't gloss that over, mm-hmm. even though it probably got her some criticism. Mm-hmm. You know, Gwyneth, the idea, um, I want to throw this out there too for everybody, not just you, but the free college tuition moonshot. Maybe that's the second stage of the moonshot. It's a moonshot nonetheless. Um, some, I, I, yeah, I, I saw this as one of two ways. There was a side that was like, oh my gosh, finally. This is the absolute way New Mexico is going to get ahead. But then the other side came in a few days, weeks later. Folks are already paying for their education. Folks in the middle of paying for their education suddenly going, okay, hang on here. <laughs> Who's getting this free ride? And this person is and this person is. Where are we on the free college thing? What's going to happen there? Well, we're all over the map on the free college thing, like you just said. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I teach here at at UNM, Mm -hmm. and I see a lot of students in my classes who are the first in their families to go to school. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of students who are desperately struggling, struggling to stay in school because of the money, even though you know, the older you get, the it doesn't seem like very much money, but it is a huge problem. That's right. I think we have a lot of talented students here who simply can't go to college because of the money, despite the lottery scholarship. Right. Um, so do I know how that would work? No. It seems to work well in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a sense of it, if it actually was implemented? What would be, your, from your view as a college professor, are you supportive of the idea? Or are you? Well, yeah. I mean, the other side of that is it's not just like, oh, UNM just opens its doors. Anyone can walk right in. I think Mm -hmm. if you offer free college to everyone, you still have to maintain your standards, Mm -hmm. right, of admission and make sure that students are prepared. That's a place where we still struggle. We are still doing massive amounts of remedial education for students who are coming into UNM. Mm -hmm. CNM is massively burdened Mm -hmm. by... Um, you know, taking care of a lot of that remedial stuff in between high school and when students are ready for college. Those problems need to be solved probably before we can move ahead. That's a good point there. Andy, it goes without saying our school budget, schools, budgets for schools, half the state's budget. I mean, it's a huge amount of money. Are we going to have to re sort of calculate how we look at money? Gwyneth opened us up by saying, you know, mm-hmm. the answer's been for a lot of folks throw a bunch of money at it. The money has come, but now we have to kind of change our point of view about how big is big. Do you know what I mean? It's an interesting thing we're going through. Yeah, I through. think money is definitely a conversation, but mm-hmm. also keep in mind that to do this, it's, it takes literally the act of the, an act of the legislature, right? Ah, so yes. so she's, she announced this, and she so I, I would say we should expect to see this on the call for the, the special session, or not special session, 30-day session. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, those conversations have to go along with it. How, how free is it? Um, how much money are we talking? Who right. does everyone get the same opportunities? Are there some people that need a little extra help than others? That's uh, right. I don't know. That's it's, right. You know, Jess, it's a pretty obvious question here. The oil boom money is coming. It's here. Right. It's 
looks like it's going to last for a bit, but it may not last forever. You never know on these right. things. So. so those voices um, mm -hmm. shouting fiscal responsibility and pounding the table, that's exactly their point, which is mm -hmm. although despite assurances that we might have a 10, 20-year boom or at least um, consistently produce revenue for the state, mm -hmm. you just never know. A lot is dependent upon um, market um and technology, uh, really. So, you know, how confident, I guess the question is, how confident is the state in the continued revenue? And are they willing to sustain whatever they're giving to education through the potential low points? Right. Um, when, you, when you think about the last um, bust and how hard it was to go back into the revenue start slashing, mm -hmm. um, I think that's, you know, it gets, it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. Um, so it's integral, at least to me and to the, to the people in Southeast New Mexico, if you're going to make the investment, then it's a promise. It's a long-term promise. Good point there. No doubt education reform will be a top story again for 2020. And for sure, we'll be talking about it here at the line table again soon. When we come back, it's our top story of 2019. New Mexico in Focus is on Twitter and Facebook. Follow us online to get updates on upcoming shows and tell us what you think about the top news stories of the week. Then tune in because we may share your comments on the line. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. Time to unveil our top story of 2019. Now, much like education reform, the story spanned the entire year and fueled many of our discussions here at the line table. I'm talking about the U.S.-Mexico border and immigration issues. It started in January when Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham pulled National Guard troops from the border in defiance of President Trump. New Mexico has been at the center of all the news surrounding this issue, certainly from the building of the wall to the detention of children, immigrants and their families and asylum seekers that have flooded our state. Now, Jessica, you live in the center of the storm, so to speak. Do. What's been the biggest aspect of the story for you as you look back on 2019? Well, certainly the human aspect of it. What we mm -hmm. see every day, those emotional photos that, that come to the forefront of, um, you know, families reaching for each other across a border wall, um, children in actual cages. Um, the human aspect of, of the border uh, issue, mm -hmm. um, to me, is the, the primary one. But um, as, as part of... Um, border communities, as we call ourselves, we have an investment in um, securing that border. So also the local reaction to um, not only the national stance on immigration and migration, but certainly what the local communities are saying in response to I have to take to advantage it. of you being here to ask you, what was the response when the governor pulled those National Guard troops in your wow. area? Up here now, because mm -hmm. he's one thing. Where you are, yeah, that's a whole another, other, right. right. So mm -hmm. the, the argument was twofold. Uh, first off is crime, right? So crime um, and also stopping drugs at the border. Right. Um, so we understand that our portion of the state is the, is the go-through for um, a lot of these um, illegal substances. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of concern about that, and I think that that brought about um, the decision by many of the counties. Well, Otero County was leading the charge in this and asking the governor to restore, mm -hmm. and then making the threat of, if you do not, we're going to do it ourselves, or we're going to find a way to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, the second part of that is really trying to struggle to understand um, pardon me, to the struggle to make the rest of the nation understand what the culture of the border is like mm -hmm. uh, in southern New Mexico. Uh, it is so dis so distinct, even between New Mexico and Mexico border versus Texas and the Mexico border itself. Um, our relationship with our southern uh, counterparts, for the most part, is, is pretty amicable. Um, we didn't want them to see it as a... Um, 
you know, shot across the bow mm. uh, in declaring war. But I think that all of us really realized that there was an essential component to securing the border that maybe the rest of the nation wasn't seeing. And how did that play when the governor made her move about uh, our in-state security stuff? You remember that with the with our own folks? There was a whole lot of movement of personnel down there. There was so. quite a bit of movement of personnel. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was lauded in many cases if we wanted to be able, if securing the border meant more bodies, then right. that's what we were going to say yes to anything gotcha. that we could get. Gotcha. Um, I think part of the problem, though, was who was, was showing up to kind of help this effort as well. That's right. um, we had some really interesting reporting yep. on um, these militia groups that were coming down of their own and and um, not really welcomed. Um, That's not over. For That's their right. own, yeah. Yeah. You know, Andy, up here in Albuquerque, interestingly, um, real budget issues were part of the equation for 2019. Interesting, and, and for the governor, certainly, uh, overall, to for the asylees and other folks mm -hmm. coming through. How did that get handled in your view? Because I seem to remember talking at this table, there was going to be a line about how much money folks are going to be willing to spend, do you know what I mean, of taxpayer yeah. money on this? Well, I think that was definitely a question coming from uh, conservatives around the state. Mm -hmm. um, when when they see her pull troops back and they say, well, wait a minute, how are you going to do this, right? Right. Um, looking at the mayor of Albuquerque, looking at the governor both, uh, and, and the mayor of, of Santa Fe, they all sort of said, we're going to, we're going to let these people come in. And then, of mm -hmm. course, it happened during the state fair uh, where they put people at Expo New Mexico. Um, right. And so there was a lot of, I think, ongoing questions about where this money comes from. How do we, how yeah. do we find support for these people coming through? No doubt. You know, Steve, interestingly, I have to get in the dreamers here and how we work in. We know where the governor is on dreamers. We know where some Republicans are on dreamers here. Politically, how does this all work out for the governor? How did 2019 sort of work out for her? Did she get through fairly unscathed on this issue, on the immigration issue? Well, I wouldn't say unscathed. There was yeah. a lot of controversy about yeah, yeah. Uh, moving the troops and the police. And, and so I wouldn't say unscathed, mm -hmm. but uh, so far, it looks like she's navigated it pretty well, though, though uh, I'm not going to predict uh, smooth sailing next year. Right. <laughs> that, will be that will be difficult on this issue, that's for sure, <laughs> really? or any year. You know, going at the idea that um, this political crossfire I'm getting to, how, you know, I, we are, as we mentioned, ground zero almost when you talk about immigration issues. You could look, the rest of the United States, just look at New Mexico, the whole thing's encapsulated here. Should we be doing something else on this immigration issue? Is the, has the governor missed something in 2019? Is there something she needs to make up in 2020 on this? Or No, I think, mm -hmm. I think so many people outside New Mexico are really confused about who we are and, mm -hmm. and how we play into this. You know, we lump Latinos and Hispanics into this giant pot, and New Mexico mm -hmm. um, is one big piece of that pot, but right. we are a very distinct one. I think that people don't talk quite often enough about how, you know, that the Hispanic population in New Mexico has been here longer than everybody else. They are mm -hmm. super Americans, right? And so we say, you know, who are these people who are, are, you know, out there holding signs at the Trump rally saying, you know, immigrants go home? How hypocritical they must be. I, I'm not sure why we say that Hispanics in New Mexico aren't allowed to want to shut the door behind them like everybody else does. Good point. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I, I think it's important for the governor to keep talking about New mm -hmm. Mexico as a culture and how we have mixed and how we have accommodated waves of immigrants from all over right. um, and how we have made that work because I think it does work pretty well. And here. that's the story the rest of the U.S. doesn't know. That no, last bit you just say there, they have no idea how we've been able to, over, not always smoothly, 
not always comfortably, but somehow we've been able to get to this point where we can just coexist with each other. Our border mm -hmm. has been very porous for the, almost the entire time uh, that we, people have been here, mm -hmm. and it's worked. Exactly right. The politics of all this, Andy, once again, as the governor moves towards a, a re-election cycle, immigration is going to be a big one for her. Mm -hmm. She's on solid ground so far, or where, where do you see her at? Well, I do think that there's actually a sort of faction of uh, free market libertarian, whatever you want to call them, mm -hmm. um, who are, for, for uh, lack of a better term, are for open borders, right? Uh, they, they'll probably argue they're not for open borders, but there's this, this economics part of it, right? Mm -hmm. we, we have jobs, we need to have workers, we need these, these things, and so I think that you're going to see some pockets of voters that are going to say, yeah, good for her to, to mm -hmm. let some people in, and mm -hmm. maybe we can get some more employees in the state. And it's all, Steve, you know, when you think about the, the atmospherics of all this, what Gwyneth and, and Andy just mentioned, uh, it really depends on what comes out of the White House, doesn't it, on this immigration issue. That's sort of, we're bouncing against that. We're reacting to things that are coming out of, out of the White House. Oh, exactly, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Which, which is one reason I, I've been saying that I don't think uh, Trump has much of a chance of winning uh, this state mm -hmm. uh, next year. Yeah. Well, that's part of that discussion, but is it enough? Is that, would they come in guns blazing on immigration? Is that the turnkey for them, for the Trump folks here? No, that's, I think that's a driving force for, for a lot of support, yeah. Mm -hmm. and the anti-immigration, uh, mm -hmm. immigrants go home. Uh, right, right. So, um, uh, Interesting. yeah, and uh, I don't know how, even, even if Trump's defeated next year, uh, you know, some of these feelings, some of these attitudes aren't gonna go away. Right. We'll finish this segment with you just as we started because you have the closest view of the situation. What are you predicting for the border next year? What, what, what could happen there? Again, outside of the federal stuff, right. you know? Um, that's an interesting question. Is, is there, I, I got one for you. Is there a movement for, for landowners not to give over land for the wall? Is there a small movement? There is certainly discussion, yes. Yeah. I think part of, the, part of that discussion is um, even if we do, say say we contribute to this movement, right. um, in the long term, what does that mean for us? Mm -hmm. um, how do we continue to secure this border? Um, what people, th th this discussion is interesting to me because what people don't truly understand about the border is it's long and a very small portion of it is New Mexico. Mm -hmm. So when you call New Mexico kind of like the central aspect of what's happening at the border and with the border issues, it's always a bit of irony for me because there is a very small portion of us that actually intersects with that Mexico border. Mm -hmm. um, but we tend to see everything kind of coalesce in those communities as well. Mm -hmm. So if I had to make a prediction, I would say that you're going to see a lot of, and in the same vein as Gwen was saying, you're going to see a lot of support for doing a bit more to secure the border. I don't think anybody mm -hmm. disagrees that there are reasons to do that. Mm -hmm. um, the way that they go about it perhaps is always going to be the center of conflict. Are there any hot spots showing themselves at the border at this point? Any places that are more stressed than others? Any <laughs> communities that are more stressed than others? Um, so when we talk about we talk about borders, we talk about border communities mostly, yeah. but what we fail to really talk about are also entry points. And there was for a period there where um, large groups were moving through certain, they were the basically were giving big. themselves, yeah. the numbers were huge, 200, 300, 400 people at a time. That's right. um, so we're not seeing people just, you know, trump across the desert and find a place to, to cross. They're actually being very strategic about this. Mm -hmm. um, and then the burden that that puts on local communities who are trying to do their part to be human as possible and, and give support is also um, one of the stressors for mm -hmm. us. 
Very much so. I want to thank all of our journalists for joining us on one of our favorite shows of the year. When we look back at the year that was, we invite you to join the conversation on Facebook. You can share your thoughts on our show, Facebook page, NM, uh, NM in Focus. Or if you haven't already, join our Focus on New Mexico Facebook group. And to this group right here, I want to say, guys, thank you very much. A wonderful 2019. All your contributions to us here. We appreciate that. We'll see you in 2020. Thanks again for joining us and for staying informed and engaged. We'll see you again next week in Focus. Funding for New Mexico in Focus provided by the McCune Charitable Foundation and viewers like you.